from the great I am through his word in the scripture. Let's pray as we prepare to hear again from the Lord. Father, we are grateful that you have spoken to us. We're grateful that you spoke through the words and the actions and the life of of the Son of God, of Jesus, who came and was born as a baby among us. Father, we are grateful that you speak through your word, that you have given us this deposit of grace and truth for us to keep coming back to again and again. Lord, we ask that in this very room, at this very moment, you speak to us through your word. Help us to hear you. Help us to listen to you. Help us to know and to love you more because you know and love us so deeply. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So in these Sundays of Advent leading up to Christmas, we've been reading texts from the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. We've been reading from from some of the small books, the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament and the Gospel of Luke, which tells us the most we know about the early days of Jesus' life. And a few weeks ago, we we started the Advent with with a text from the minor prophets that invited us to see how God refines us, how He he purifies us, how how He burns away and washes away all that is wrong with us to make us clean. And then the week after that, we, we reflected on how the reality of Jesus coming brings us joy that nothing on this world can undercut or overwhelm, but, but in Christ we can delight. And last week we focused on although, although all kinds of troubles come, still we can have hope. This morning on this last Sunday of Advent on Christmas Eve, we, we have a final day of anxiety and anticipation as we look toward Christmas, and, and we're going to be just reminded today of of why we celebrate Christmas. And then we gather again tomorrow to celebrate the reality of the risen Lord. Today we're going to read from Micah chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, and then we'll turn over a few pages and read from Luke 1, verses, or Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You can follow along. There are Bibles in the benches in front of you. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who was in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites." He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And then let's turn over to Luke chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 12. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. 
and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to start by, by going back in time just a few years to when VeggieTales was a big, big new trend. And, and if you don't know, VeggieTales is a series of movies about vegetables who enact Bible stories and as time went by gave good moral lessons. And one of the early ones was David and Goliath. So David is, I think, little junior asparagus and Goliath, I've never been quite sure what he was. He was either a big cucumber or a squash. But there's a classic song as part of that, and I'm going to try to do this falsetto. We'll see how it goes. But Junior Asparagus, looking at Goliath, goes, You're big, I'm little. You're big, I'm little. And I often heard, as a couple years went by, and it was really trendy among the younger crowd, when I was in the church nursery or, or even around the house with some of my younger siblings, that they would be playing, usually it was with stuffed animals, and they would change that song up. And they would try as deep as a three- or four-year-old can go, instead of, you're big, I'm little, I'm big, you're little. When you're three, you take the victories you can get, Right? But so often in our lives, we look around and we go, ah, I'm so big and I'm so little. And what we want out of life is to be able to say, I'm big and my problems are little. But so often we're caught in the in-between there that, that our problems seem so big, that life is so hard, that it's overwhelming and we don't know what we're going to do. And sometimes we put a brave face on and sometimes we just run and hide. But the reality is that there are always the big bad guys and so often, the troubles just overwhelm us. What Micah and Luke introduce us to is this problem, that there are the big bad guys always there. And, and in the background of Micah is the story we think of Sennacherib. And Sennacherib is, he's a really big, really bad guy. He's an emperor or a king of the, uh, of the empire of Assyria. And we think what Micah is prophesying here happened in 701 B.C. when, when the big bad Assyrian army came, came swooping through Judah to conquer. And, and they took over all the towns of God's people and, and they wiped out a bunch of them and they stole all their things and they killed all kinds of people. And then they came to Jerusalem. They came to Jerusalem right at the heart of, of the nation of God's people and they laid siege to it. And one of Sennacherib's representatives came up to the very city walls and he had a little speech that basically was, we're big, you're little. But, but he says, look at all the other people who we've destroyed. Their names and their gods aren't even known anymore. And look at what we've done to your land. And do you really think that you can stand up to us? We are going to destroy you and grind your city into the ground and there is nothing you can do about it. But if you surrender, we might kill you a little more nicely. And God's people, God's people standing on the, on, the law, on the walls, the representatives of the king, do you know what their response was? 
the representative was speaking in Hebrew, and, and God's people's response was, could you please speak in a different language that most of the people don't know so they aren't so scared? Pretty please talk to us in a different language so not everyone will understand that we're doomed. And of course, Sennacherib's army goes, no, I'm going to repeat myself. You're all doomed. And from an earthly perspective, this is entirely true. Sennacherib and his army are so powerful, so mighty, they have done so much already, and all the data indicates that Jerusalem is doomed to come under the heel of this big, bad guy. Jerusalem is the last holdout, and they are under siege. Well, we jump forward to the book of Luke, and, and things are actually, in many respects, worse. Because now we're talking about Caesar, and, and Caesar and the Caesars before him, the Roman Empire has come, and they have not conquered everything except Jerusalem. They have conquered everything, including Jerusalem. The war is over, and it's been lost. And God's people are completely under the power of Caesar. And so Luke 2 opens with, with a government census, and this is, this is not a nice little census. Fill out a few bubbles and send it in. This is a census that is an intended intended to demonstrate to the people that they belong to Caesar. And so they have to, if they aren't in their original place, they have to travel back, and, and there's all kinds of rules and regulations, and, and they are reminded in the counting of how great Caesar is and how he can move you around however he wants, whenever he wants. And oh, by the way, part of the census too was to make sure that you pay all your taxes. And Roman taxes... Roman taxes are pretty rough. So the big bad guys, the big bad guys are always there, and they are here for us too. And we might look around the world, and we might think of more spiritual forces, of, of Satan and his minions, and how we are perpetually under spiritual attack. Or, or we might think of the nations and the, the politics of the world, and think of how there is always unrest and always trouble, and how even when we think we've solved things, all we've really done, it feels like, is prepare the way for the next war. Or we think of our own lives, and the sickness, the temptation, the trouble, the breakups, the all the big bad things that threaten us over and over again. If we were in Jerusalem or Bethlehem today, we probably wouldn't feel like celebrating Christmas because we'd keep hearing, we'd keep hearing all the explosions and the war in Gaza that goes on and on with more and more innocents dying these last couple months. The world is full of big bad circumstances. And so as we gather today on Christmas Eve, we... We have to acknowledge that life is hard, that there are not often answers, that often we're, we're standing up on the walls and, and the big bad guy is coming and saying, ha, 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 I'm big, you're little, and often they're right, often they're right. So Micah starts out with this sense that, that we will be under siege, that, that a blow will be struck against God's people and it will hurt. But then Micah shows us a solution, and it's, it's a good solution, but it's a short-term solution like so many of our solutions. 2 Kings 18 and 2 Chronicles 32, if you, if you want to look into more detail on this story, 2 Kings 18, 2 Chronicles 32, tell us this story. And we see this, this promise in Micah partly fulfilled because you see the king, the king of Judah at that time, the king in Jerusalem is Hezekiah, and Hezekiah is descended from David. He is a, a Davidic ruler. 
He is someone in whom the people should be able to have hope. And, and when Sennacherib finally gets to Jerusalem, after all the people's plots and all their resources have failed, finally at that moment, the king, the king goes back to the Lord. And the king and the prophets and all the people, they go and they pray, and they pray, Lord, deliver us. This is, this is hopeless. We know it's not going to work out, but we need you. And if we go back a little bit to the story of David and Goliath, we see something similar of the odds being hopeless and yet of David trusting in the Lord. Now David's descendant, Hezekiah, trusts in the Lord. And and what happens next is humanly unbelievable, is incredible. This huge army, hundreds of thousands of people who surround this city of Jerusalem in one night... And 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles give a little more or a little less detail. They highlight it from a little different perspective. But, but in one night, they both say, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord comes and he wipes out that Assyrian army. It is done, finished, dead. And then a small remainder runs off back to Assyria with their tail between their legs. There is victory. There is hope. And so God's people celebrate, and and King Hezekiah is seen as a true heir of David, and and everything is wonderful and amazing. But then we keep reading what happens. Hezekiah, who in some sense has fulfilled this prophecy of Micah, he, he turns away from the Lord. And we don't get all the details, but but he pushes God off into the margins of his life, and and then eventually he turns back, but but his relationship with the Lord is no longer vibrant. He is, a, he is a failure. And at the end, he lives out his reign, and he, he does okay, but his son, King Manasseh, is the worst of all the kings of God's people. He is completely dead set against the Lord. He does all kinds of unbelievable, unbelievable evil and brings all of God's people with him. We see a little bit a little bit of progress here. This prophecy of Micah is fulfilled for just a brief period and then it all falls apart. And so often our victories in this world are so short-lived. So often when we feel like we've overcome that great temptation, it, it comes back. So often when we feel like we finally restored that relationship, that person again turns their back on us. So often when we think we finally achieved some level of peace on earth or, or maybe just peace in the Middle East, it all in one day falls apart again. So often when we think the forces of evil have maybe finally been pushed back, they, they come around again and we lose. Bethlehem right now, today, is a picture of that. And for many of us in our lives, and we can tell this story different ways, but the last maybe 150 years was a golden age of the North American church, that that we were vibrant and we were strong and we were sending out missionaries around the world and, and the center of the faith was right here. But now in these days, it seems like as Christians, we have more defeats than victories in the world around us. Many of us feel more pessimistic than optimistic when we look to the future and And the reality is that the church, and this is a wonderful reality, the reality is the church is still in a golden age, but it's no longer here. The golden age is elsewhere around the world, in Africa and Asia, where the church is growing and growing and growing, and and marvelous victories of faith are happening. 
but for us when we look around, when we look at our family members, at our friends, have we won or are we losing? And I think too often in life, maybe a bit like King Hezekiah, when we have our moments of victory, we, we become complacent. We slide away from God. We, we know He's there, but we depend on Him less and less. And as time goes by, we get to be more and more distant from the Lord. And, and then we realize that we've been defeated again. And so often those defeats become, become things that pull us away from Jesus because we thought we were always going to win. And what do we do when we lose? Our short-term solutions don't work. And so often in the Old Testament, we see these wonderful victories and then these terrible defeats. And that's, that's actually intentional. God is up to something here in Micah that, that we need to pay attention to. Our third and last point is that the real resolution here is Jesus, the shepherd king. And, and we need in the Bible, we need in our lives, always, 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 can I say that again? Always, always, always to be coming back to Jesus. In Alistair Begg's sermon on this text in Micah, he says we lose our way around the Bible if we take our eyes off Jesus. We lose our way around the Bible if we take our eyes off Jesus. And I think we have this perpetual temptation, if we, are, if we are feeling good about our lives, to take our eyes off Jesus and, and to turn the Bible into a nice morality play and just saying, well, if I do these things, then God will keep being nice to me. I can, I can have this transaction where I serve the Lord and He gives me what I want and everybody's happy. And when we're experiencing defeat in our lives, when we're experiencing trouble, if we take our eyes off Jesus, then we might feel like, well, God, God broke His end of the bargain, so He's not worth serving anymore. Or we might feel like there's something terribly wrong with me. I must have displeased God somehow. How, how can I do more? How can I be more so that God gives me what I want again? And the more we take our eyes off Jesus, the more we have this up and down and more downs than up of spiritual living where, where we can't really be secure in Christ. Where we lose the meaning of Jesus coming because we are so focused on the ups and downs of our own lives. Dr. Strange, in a couple of his sermons the last few weeks here at Faith, has, has repeated over again. You may have heard this, you may not have, but, but he keeps saying the office of the Old Testament is to fail. The office of the Old Testament is to fail. And one reason we have the Old Testament, one reason we have these, these hundreds and hundreds of pages, these dozens and dozens of books, is to show us how, how hopeless it really is. Because apart from Jesus, everything is entirely hopeless. And that is where Micah wants to bring us in the end. It tells us life is hard, and, and then it shows us, shows us along with the rest of the Old Testament, hey, there's some hope here. But then as the story goes on, the, goes on, the hope always tanks. King David himself is, is perhaps the greatest king of the Old Testament. He defeats Goliath. He expands God's kingdom. He does wonderful things, and he is also in so many ways, a failure. King Hezekiah, one of the better kings, he, he works, and through him, God somehow delivers his people miraculously, and there are wonderful things that happen, but, but at the end, the judgment on Hezekiah is kind of meh. 
then his reforms and all that he does doesn't even last a generation. So often in our lives, so often when things look so good, the, the final verdict is actually, meh, it was okay for a while, and, and then it wasn't so great. And that is, that is a reality we have to face. And it is also part of God's plan, because when we get to that point that we, that we actually are honest with how the big bad guys keep beating us up, then we are finally ready to see Jesus. And the Lord brings Jesus in at the right time and in the right way. And, and here in Luke even, we see how, how Caesar thinks he's such big stuff. Caesar can move people around like pawns on a checkboard. He can, he can do whatever he wants, but, but this census that he puts together succeeds in moving Jesus from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill all these Old Testament prophecies. Even Caesar, the, the king of the world as he would style himself, is just a little pawn that God, that God moves around to fulfill his will. It is not Sennacherib, it is not Caesar Augustus in Rome, it is the Lord God in heaven, and it is the baby Jesus in the manger who are the real power in the universe. And so on this, this Christmas Eve, we, we look forward to Christmas, and, and I want to say we have a lot of reason to be anxious. There are so many things in all of our lives that have gone wrong, that could go wrong, and I hate to tell you this, but that will go wrong. This world is full, full of sorrows and troubles. And we will have our wonderful moments and we will have the time when everything bottoms out. But the message of these texts, the message of Christmas Eve and Christmas is that, yes, life will bottom out, but Jesus has come. Jesus has come. And Jesus comes in a way that we would never expect. He comes as a weak baby, not as a, not as a mighty angelic being, at least in terms of how we can see. But it turns out that that weak baby has the power of the king of the universe, and he makes all things right. And so today, as we're caught in that, in that ongoing dynamic of recognizing that our troubles are big and we're little, and, and yet wanting to be able to overcome them, and yet not being able to, and, and we're in this cycle of anxiety and worry and trouble all the time, these texts invite us to step out of that cycle, to hear the good news that the shepherd king has come, to hear that a ruler has come out of Israel who will, who will watch over us and take care of us forever. That VeggieTales song eventually goes on and goes, he's big, but God's bigger. Goliath is big. God is bigger. Our troubles are big. God is bigger. And so on this Christmas Eve, whatever troubles you come here with, whatever worries, whatever anxiety, whatever fear, well, let's be honest, they're big. They're huge. They might be overwhelming. But God is bigger. And so today as we look forward to Jesus, look through your troubles and see the baby born in a manger who grows and becomes our Lord and Savior who is and always will be the King of the universe. No matter how big your troubles are, God is bigger. Let's pray.
Lord, some days it's easy for us to see how you're at work. And some days it's hard. There are times when we feel good about life, when everything is together, when things are wonderful. And there are times when, when nothing works quite right and everything sits a little sideways and we wonder why we even get up in the morning anymore. Lord, we are grateful that on this day you have brought us here and you have spoken your word to us. And Lord, we pray that for each one of us here that you provide what we need. Lord, if we, if we have wandered from you, if we are feeling defeated and alone, then bring us back. Lord, if we are questioning your goodness or even your existence, then we pray that today would be a sign to us that Jesus is truly God truly man, truly our Lord, and truly our Savior. And Father, if we are in a season of victory, then we pray that you bless us abundantly with grace and peace in Christ. Lord, on this Christmas Eve, as we look toward Christmas, we give you thanks for Jesus, and we pray that through your Spirit, you bring us more and more into the power and presence of our Lord and Savior. Amen.